Yeah, I have nothing else to say. I think that said it all. I did not like it that they put gravy on that food because I'm starting to get hungry right now. I don't know about you, but you know, stores, right, have already moved on to Christmas. Have you noticed? Even before Halloween, they were ready for it. But I think we need to pause. And I encourage you this week, you know, to uh, in your time with God, take a few minutes just to thank him for all the things that he has given to you before you ask him for anything this week. So we will have family in this week, not just everybody staying at our house, but with family that lives here. Uh, There's some people coming from Indiana and Florida and New York City. And I found this out the other day. People are bringing their dogs there is going to be, with the people here that have dogs and dogs coming, there's going to be nine dogs. Yeah, and I can't wait. I hope they all come to Thanksgiving. I think it would be a kick, you know, if they came to Thanksgiving. And uh, I pray that that day is just a fun day for you. Uh, so today we're going to connect and continue in this series at the movies with a message called Financial Health, How I See and Use Money. And just a few things, you know, facts, you know, because uh, Jesus talked about this. You know, and he had a concern that I'm going to speak of just a little bit later, but he talked more about money in the Bible than he talked about heaven or hell. How about this, right? He, he, uh, in half of the parables that he told, which were stories that he told people that had a heavenly meaning, he talked more about money there in half of them than anything else. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you wouldn't know this fact unless I told you it today, but one out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had to do with money. Yeah, and so I wanted to talk about it this morning. And some of you are going, man, this is my first time in church and this guy's got to talk about money. Yeah, so uh, just stay with me though, okay? Give me a shot. It's helpful to hear Jesus' perspective on this because he knows us. He knows this, right? We we spend a lot of time thinking about money, worrying about money, figuring out how to earn more money, how to save money. And Jesus knew that if we weren't careful, that this thing of money could dominate our lives. It It could control our decisions, good and bad, and be a major source of worry in a major source of fear. And he, he also knew this, right? That's why he talked about it so much. He knew that if we weren't careful, that money would take his place in our hearts, which is why I want to talk about it today. So um, breathe just for a little bit. This is not a message, which I'm going to guilt you into giving more money this morning as we take this offering. Because you know what people say about churches? All they want is your Oh, you were very humble about that. I know people that are shouting it out. They want your money, you know? And so as we talk about this, I want to put it in the right context of how Jesus thought about it. And um, and, uh, this is a message about how we manage it, which applies to every single one of us in the room. And this is what I know about it, that it's one of the major sources of stress and anxiety. You know what the number one killer of marriages is? Money. You guessed it. I don't know about you, we've had more money fights than anything else, yeah? I mean, we don't fight. I... <laughs> so Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees. <laughs> and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And so um, we don't have pastors like this, like in our church, but these with this church, right? And so these Pharisees, let me tell you a little bit about them, right? They were incredibly arrogant, self-righteous, and judgmental. And I'll tell you the truth about them. When I read about them, I don't think they like people that much. 
But I'll tell you what they did like. Money. They like money. And so Jesus is talking to them about it. And so he tells a story. And you can read it later in Luke chapter 16. But let me just tell this story, okay? He tells a story about a rich guy. And he had this rich guy who gave uh, this other guy... The, the position of managing his money. The guy didn't do a good job. So one day he decides he's got to let the guy go. And so the guy's thinking, I got I to gotta regroup here. What can I do to save face in this situation? And so he calls, he talks to people that were indebted to the rich man that probably were never going to be able to pay it off. And he says, how about this? How about if we reduce it and then you can pay them out and reduce? Now that's a great plan, except he never told his manager. And so the manager's thinking this money is coming in when the guy's ending his job, but he doesn't know it wasn't all the money that he could have had. And so the manager actually figured it out, and then he commends the guy and says, nice job. You finally did it. And Jesus, when he's telling the story, I mean, the, the shrewdness of the guy, he's not focusing on that, but he said, good recovery in that area, which is, might be what we need today. So Jesus teaches us lesson to the Pharisees, and he gives us some money lessons. So I hope... Uh, these lessons from this story will influence the way that we think about money. And so I thought, you know, I'd bring an authority into this message. And so I'm going to play a little clip from the Office sitcom. And uh, if you've ever watched it, Michael, who's the manager of the paper company, he had poor boundaries. He was always bringing his personal stuff into the staff room. And so this time, he's figured out because he didn't manage money well, so he tried to figure out how he could have more money. So watch, watch this clip. So Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He is doing just fine. Okay. Calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? All right, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? All right, let me explain again. <laughs> Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all going to make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's... I have to go make a call. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, that show still makes me laugh. So that's what Michael thought about it. Let's, let's look at what God says about it. So what not to do with money. The first thing it is, don't waste it. The Bible says, don't waste the money that God has given to us. So look at this verse. It's from the story in Luke 16, 2. It says, the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So this principle of don't waste possessions or money was drilled into my head by my mother with food. I don't know how many times she said to me, Ricky, finish what's on your plate. Because there are kids in Africa that are starving today, huh? Your mother too? 
And so this is pre-Jesus in my life, but one day I looked at her and said, then let's mail it to him because I'm full. (laughs) But what she taught me was how to handle money. And she was telling me not to waste it. And I can still hear her voice in my head. You know, I am a minimalist really in life, you know. And so what I thought from what my mother taught me was this, Rick, don't buy things that you don't need and don't have money to buy to impress people that you don't know. Hello? It's just a principle. And God picked up where my mom left off and continued shaping my view because when he got a hold of my life, I still had some things out of whack about money. Like I thought my money was my money and it was a private issue and nobody could speak into it. I thought that my money was my money and if I wanted to waste it, I could. And, he, and nobody cares. I thought my money was my money and I wasn't going to let anybody tell me what to do with my money. Yeah? And then one day, God is in my life. And I hear a message and read a scripture verse about this. And it was the theme that I came away with was simply this. What if this money belonged to him? What if it belonged to him? And I was just managing it. And all of a sudden, I thought of this thought that said, I don't want to waste God's money. If it's his, then I want to manage it well so don't waste it the second thing is this don't love it don't love it jesus says we're not to love money if we love money it'll be simply this mine 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 more 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 yeah and so here's the reasoning he says this no servant can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both what you can't serve both god and money You know, he said, we got to choose what's going to be number one in our life because it's impossible to have divided allegiance. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. See, God wants our heart, and sometimes he knows that money and the pursuit of money can take his place in our heart. So Jesus lays it out plainly. He says, you can't serve both. He said, you got to choose what the number one thing in your life is going to be. Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be the accumulation of money? You can't have two number ones. Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't trust it. This is hard news. And there's some hard news that I'll share here as we get into this thing. But um, I don't care. I don't care how much money we have. You know what the truth is about it? We can lose it. We can lose it. And for some of us, COVID has created unexpected loss in our life for some of them it's meant for some of us it's meant less income for some of us meant we were out of work for the guy in the story i told in matthew 16 3 this is his dilemma he said this what am i going to do now i am losing my job so new thought never put your security in anything that can be taken from you let me expand it beyond money like don't put your security in good looks and how attractive you are right now i've got bad news for you it's going to change i worked hard the other day and looked in the mirror before i went to bed and my cheeks were sagging and my face was full of wrinkles and i went out and looked at pam and said what happened honey 
No, 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 don't put your security in health because we can lose health and don't put it in the job because we can lose a job. Don't put it in marriage because we can lose the marriage. Don't put it in a loved one because we can lose a loved one. Don't put it in a bank account because there's thousands of ways that we can lose our money. If we really want to be secure, we got to understand that the center of life is to be built on something that, can, that we can never, never lose. Now, I'm just giving you my experience. What I found over the years is only one thing that we can never lose, and I can tell you what it is this morning. We can never lose God's love for us. Look, some of us have tried to repel him by saying we don't believe in him. Some of us has kept him away from us, but that has nothing to do with whether or not he loves you. He loved you when you were born. He loves you now, and he will love you forevermore, and we can't, we can't change that. Don't waste it. Don't trust it. Don't love it. And then don't expect it to satisfy. And we might be thinking, having more money will make me more happy, more secure, more important, more valuable. It's a popular thought in our culture, but it's misguided because it's not going to satisfy. The more we have, the more we want. Howard Hughes was a millionaire. And somebody asked Howard Hughes, how much money does a man need to be happy? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Well, Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, said it way before Howard Hughes ever said it. And they recorded it in the Bible because this is what Solomon said. Whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. New thought. Our self-worth has nothing to do with our net worth. And our valuables do not determine our value. So, so let's not think that because we have a lot that we're something. You may not be all that. I hate to break it to you. And let's, not, and let's not think because we have a little that we are nothing. Because you're more valuable to God than you would ever think. Your, your, worth, your worth can be based on this fact. God made you. It can be based on this fact that Jesus died for you. It can be based on this fact that God's ultimate plan was that his spirit would live in our heart. And that will never change. That is how much you matter to God. And I'm telling you the truth. That satisfies today, doesn't it? Yeah, so remember it all belongs to God. What to remember about money? It all belongs to God. It all belongs to him. The whole universe belongs to God. He made it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the heavens belong to him, the sun, moon, stars, trees, plants, animals, and even the rocks belong to God. Everything belongs to God. So, I told you I was giving you more hard news. Here's more hard news. We don't own anything. <laughs> As a matter of fact, look at this phrase. What we think we own is really on loan. What we have belonged to somebody else before we were born. And what we have will belong to somebody else after we die. God just loans it to us for 80 years, and then he takes it 
back and passes it on to someone else. And we get to use it while we're alive, but we don't own anything. So in the story, the owner has his property, you know, and his possessions and his money, and he gives it to this guy to manage. And the guy managed it in the same way, right? God has given us all this stuff for us to manage. So we are all in management. You may not have thought that about your life, but look at your neighbor and tell him you're a manager. Okay, then tell him God said so. You're a manager today of what he has given us. He's put things under our management. We would have nothing if it wasn't for God. We wouldn't have breath in our lungs, our possessions, anything we wouldn't have because of God. I know what some of you are thinking right now. No, I have the things I have because I work for them with my hands. So I got a question for you. Who gave you the hands? It all goes back to him as a gift to us. So here's the point, right? It says this, right? The owner enlisted the manager to take care of his property. So how are we doing? How are we doing with taking care of what God has given to us? How are we doing taking care of our relationships and how are we doing taking care of our property and our possessions? And how are we doing with taking care of our mind and our talents that he's given to us? And here is Jesus' words. You know, the Matthew, the disciple Matthew, you know, wrote these down. I think they're going to pop up on the screen. Don't store up treasures on earth where mouth, moth and... <laughs> I can't say that word today. Where, mouth and ru- <laughs> where moth and rust destroy... Where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So remember it belongs to God, and then understand this, that money will test us. Money shows what we love the most. And how I, how I spend my money reveals God's place in my heart and every, everybody else's place in my heart because I spend it on those I love the most. So when I fell in love with my wife, Pam, I had my first job. Can I tell you what it was? I was a paper boy. And that's back in the days when paper boys were paper boys, yeah? I I can't remember. I felt so good the day I got my paper boy bag. And I would fold the papers and put them in my paper boy bag. And I'd go out 5.30 in the morning and deliver them to houses in my neighborhood. And then there was this point, right? There was this point because back in the day, I'm not going back that far, but I used to go collect money from people. They didn't, eat, they didn't like text to give. You know, I went there and I gave them this little thing that I tore out of a book that it was a receipt and people had these cups on their windowsill where they dropped the receipts. So if I ever tried to double up on what they owed me, they could pull it out, maybe. But can I tell you what? When I fell in love with Pam, I didn't collect money for me. I collect money for her. And so I could buy her something. I knew how much a pizza was at Roma's Pizza in our neighborhood. And so I'd collect until I had enough money to buy a pizza for us. And then this is really going to date myself. Some of you remember this, and some of you just asked your grandparents what it was. But when, you, we were, when we were in love, we brought ID bracelets for the person. 
And so I brought her an ID bracelet she wore all the time that said Rick on it. <laughs> Every kid in the school knew Rick. And I remember buying her Hallmark cards. Yes, she had a whole shoebox because I'm a helpless romantic, a shoebox of Hallmark cards that I had bought her over the years. And then come the day when I was going to ask her to marry me, and so I didn't have a lot of money. But back in those days, you, <laughs> you would give the, the lady a pre-engagement ring. Anybody? You know what a pre-engagement ring was? It was a ring you gave the, the woman you wanted to marry because you didn't have enough buddy, money to buy a diamond. <laughs> and you're like, pay the head, you know? And... and you don't have to spread this around. Can I tell you how much that pre-engagement ring was? $60. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you couldn't hardly see the chip diamond that was there, but it showed that I love her. Do you know, do you know how you spell love? Brian, I'm going to try to get it right this service. This is how you spell love. You ready? G-I-V-E. The things and people that we love we give to we give to them and it's that way with God whenever we want our heart to be we put our money there and, and right now I can tell this and maybe not for everybody in the room and if somebody does have investments with Microsoft I'm not insulting you but probably for most of us right now we couldn't care less what Microsoft does as a company but if we put some money in stocks can I tell you what? We check what Microsoft does, Microsoft does every single day of the week. Yes. Because we want to know what they're doing, what, what we have. And so um, Dennis the Menace is coming out of church one day with his dad. And, um, you know, giving to church is a private matter, you know. And so Dennis the Menace is coming out of church with his dad. He shakes the pastor's hand and goes, Pastor, what are you going to do with the dollar my da dad gave you today? <laughs> And his dad is like blushing, you know. So uh, we remember it belongs to God. Uh, the next thing is this, right? We, we understand money will test us, but it, money is nothing more than a tool. It's really not right or wrong. It's not evil or good. It's just there. It can be used to build great churches or it can be used to finance drug deals. Yes. And so it's just a tool, so um, I didn't write this on the screen, but in that same chapter of Luke 16, Jesus uh, tells us to use our worldly wealth. Remember he said not to love it, but in that verse he says, use it. And so what, is, what's his, what his deal was is he said, I want you to do this. I want you to love people, and I want you to use money. See, if we get that backwards, we can be in trouble. If we begin to love money and to use people, it changes everything, and it reverses what he wants us to have in our life. When we start doing that, we're a Michael in the office. We can use our money to save time, to save lives, to do good, to honor God, but in order to do that, we have to have a plan. You know, so the question, like, I was asking early in marriage, because Pam came to me one day, and she said, you know, I think we should start giving money to God. And I was like, really and where will we get that money from because the last time I checked our balance at the end of the month was zero yes 
And then she introduced this crazy idea that blew my mind. I think we should give to God first. What? And we started. And I've never looked back. You know what else? We've always had plenty. We've always had enough. He has always been faithful to us as we gave to him to give back. You say, how in the world am I going to do that? Rick, how am I going to do it if I'm not doing it right now? Just one word, you ready? <laughs> a budget. <laughs> you know what a budget is? I love this definition. It's telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went at the end of the month. <laughs> so we look at it in that way. It's just a tool. So I like tools. You know I like tools. So I brought tools. And so this drill I really like. This is a Makita cordless drill. It's my favorite tool. It's light. The grip is nice. And guess what? Especially right now, it has a light. So I can see what I'm drilling. You know, and I use this tool a lot. And then somebody introduced me. This is cordless. This is an electric. That's a quarter-inch drill. This is a half-inch drill. And so I remember the first time I used this, you know, I was like drilling some holes for wiring in the wall through two by fours. And I had a grip like I would have with the Makita. And I was just kind of holding it loose like this. And I stuck the drill in there and began to drill. And that thing caught on a piece of wood, snapped my wrist around and slammed it into a two by four. I'm telling you right now, when I use this drill now, mm -mm -mm, I plant both feet. I'm like, oh, I'm going to drill that hole. I'm not letting down until it's done. You know, and it's like, I think when we go to change habits around this thing I'm talking about today, we got to get a grip on it. We just got to get a good grip on it so that we won't get slammed around as we attempt to change things. Uh, I put this down as number four. The best use of money is to get people to heaven. Now, you, you know me well enough that you understand you can't buy somebody into heaven. They can't be good enough to get into heaven? No, no, no. But we can support things that help tell people about how to get into heaven. Jesus has already paid the price for them to get there, but, but we can do things that will help them understand how to get to heaven because one day, one day, all of us as managers are gonna give account and I love what Jesus said to his disciples when he was leaving. He said, don't forget this. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that. Uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back. And I will take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. I don't know about you, but I've, in some days I long for that. I just long, you know, for the time when, when this, this, this thing of managing will be over and we'll get to see him. And one day that will come because we're going to die. And picture this, right? One day we'll go to heaven. And I like to think of going through the pearly gates. <laughs> I don't have pearls. St. Peter gives me a little greeting, like a high five, says, hey, way to go. Good to have you here. We walk into heaven. And there's people there. And we walk in, and they greet us, maybe people we don't even know. And they say, man, I'm so glad that, glad that I bumped into you. I was waiting for you to get here. 
I have something I want to tell you. Because you gave, I heard the message that Jesus loved me. And I'm here today because I heard the message in the place, the places that you gave to. We have no clue. We have no clue about what the impact will be down the road. I was thinking about the things that we invested in as a church to tell people that God loves them. We bought Bibles, you know, and we have other stuff, you know, like our building, our worship, kids, teen ministry, technology. We, we've collected coats and blankets and for our community. And we pay money to people and help them with utilities and help them with food. We buy gas for their car when they're going through a rough spot. Church planting, Haiti. We've sent money to Haiti for food and for, for shoes and school supplies. And Brian shared last week that we paid for two life-saving surgeries for two people in Sierra Leone. And guess what? They are alive today. One day we'll meet them. One day we'll meet them. I mean, we're going to meet a lot of people because we're going to be there forever. (laughs) And they'll say thanks. They'll say something like this. Because you gave, I was saved. End of story. It'll make it all worth it. And the last thing is this. One day I'll give account to God. I said we were managers, and so one day there'll be an audit of our life. Not just our money, but everything God gave us, our time, our talent, our relationships. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And our memory verse is Luke 16, 2, and it says... You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted you to you because your time as a manager is ending. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if we have a little or if we have a lot because I know people that have a lot that have done very little and I have people that have a little that have done a lot. But one day the manager... We'll, 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 we'll take our life and transport it to heaven and we're going to live there forever and he'll ask us what we did with what he gave us. So Rick Warren is a pastor of a church in Cala, California. It's a big church, like 30,000 people. <laughs> but 18 years ago, he wrote a book and he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I remember when I read this book and very few times outside of the Bible do I read the whole book. This book is marked up with phrases that have further directed my life to be purpose-driven. And so this book, you know, for like four years was on the New York Times bestseller list, which you know what that meant for Rick. That meant that he made a lot of money. You know what he did? He was already at his church for a number of years. He paid his salary back to the church. And then he started working for free. And then he started living on 9% of the royalties from the book and gave 91% of it away to 
other people. He's not a professional offer. He's a pastor. He could have had expenses, cars, a mansion, clothes, butlers, maids, and cooks. Somebody asked him one time, they said, Rick, why did God choose you? And he repeated back, he chose me because he could trust me. And he knew if he poured it into me that I would give it out to other people. So I talk about this stuff because in our culture, you know, money is kind of messed up in our culture. And I want you to understand that God understood it. And he created it in the beginning. He has a way for us to execute it, especially when we go into this season. You know Christmas is coming? <laughs> we talked briefly yesterday about a budget for Christmas. Can I tell you what will mess up your budget for Christmas? Grandkids. We always have a number. We always go over. And part of it is, like, I was here at church the other night, and so my second oldest granddaughter called me, and she said, Papa, no, wait, I got to do it right. Papa, where are you? I said, I'm at church, but I'm leaving them on my way home. I said, where are you? She said, at your house. She said, Papa, could you stop and give me some food? I'm like, no, get it yourself. No, because you drive. <laughs> but, but, but I said, yep, I'll get you food. She said, what, what restaurants do you pa pass on the way home? And I said, any restaurant you want. And I walked in with two Wendy's hamburgers, just ketchup, and a frosty. You know why? because the, the love that I have in my heart for them is a deep love. If I have it, I want to give it. So when you think about this in reference to Jesus, our giving to him is nothing more than a love offering. It's giving back to him. <clears throat> God bless you today. And I pray this message like struck a chord somewhere with you. And I'll pray for you over these next months as you, as you apply truth to your life. If you say, Pastor Rick, I need to hear this today, would you say amen? I thought it was better than that. <laughs> no, no, no. If, if, if you needed this today, just say amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, I thank you. Lord, there are things that happen in this room that won't happen anywhere else in our world. And we start to put you in perspective, Lord. It changes us. So you know us. Would you go into the area of our heart and into the area of our life that needs to change and help us get you in the number one spot? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple next steps. Here we go. Memorize Luke 16.2. Create a budget. Include God in the budget. And then this is really critical. Invite a friend to in-person church next week because I can tell you what's happening right now. This is the time of the year when people think about going to church. And the invite to somebody can change their destiny. Yes? God bless you.